Well, welcome back to uh, another exciting episode of Out of the Main, a Yacht Rock podcast. Welcome, Tom. Welcome. You've noticed uh, I have control of the rudder today, right? Yeah, something's wrong um, here. I know. Ship's going well, down. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was because before we started, I wanted to kind of reaffirm something that we uh, you mentioned with the Bill Schnee interview, but you're never it's never too late, you're never too old to kind of discover a new hero, you know? Mm. And when I was younger listening to music, I was, you know, admittedly like a surface dweller. I kind of, you know, knew the popular artists and uh, uh, I didn't really go digging beyond that. So now as we've immersed ourselves into this yacht rock culture and we started digging into that stuff, I mean, the amazing things that we've been discovering. I imagine that's true for you too, right? Absolutely. I mean, that's the whole reason we started with this podcast was because we were discovering new stuff. We're like, we got to share this with the world. Right. So I I keep seeing this one album that people are posting, either it was on our Yacht Rock group or whether it was a suggestion on Spotify. I don't know, because I've been going through like the Jay Graydon production years and kind of studying album by album. And this one album kept coming up and it was Blue Desert. And so finally I said, "Okay, well, I got to check this out. The cover looks really cool. I'm going to click on this. And the first song starts. I hear the drum sounds. I hear the the electric piano and I'm like this is it <laughs> this is the sound this is it yes yeah and you were so excited about it you shared it with me and you, you did. did some googling you ended up in the wrong place you ended up at west coast dk because there's this whole website oh, right. that holds Name. blue desert up as the like the end all be all of yacht rock and so we got to learn more about mark and of course we'll bring on shortly um because of that I think it's time. I think uh, we've we've chattered enough. Yeah. Well, let's bring in the man, the myth. No, not the myth, but the legend himself, Mark Jordan. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Nice to talk to you guys. Were you familiar with this uh, website in Denmark that's all about West Coast AOR? And they, they refer to itself as Blue Desert because they hold your album wow. in such high esteem. Yeah. Did not know that. Well, check it out at West Coast DK. Yep. Well, we want to um, quickly thank the guys, our good uh, friends and uh, partners in crime at Yacht Rock Miami for setting this up. We're facilitating this interview for them, but they are the ones that made all of this happen. So kudos to, uh, was it Salty Hank, Captain G, and Juan Love. Cool. Well, John, since you were the one that made the discovery initially, I'll let you okay. kick things off. Well, we're going to go back to the sort of the beginning, and uh, being that you're from Toronto, uh, right? You were raised, what, born in New York and raised in yes. Toronto? Yeah. How did the process get you to L.A.? That's the first part of the story I think we well, like to hear. Well, uh, my dad, you know, was a classical singer, and uh, he was he was born in Montreal. He moved to New York, like all Canadians <laughs> move uh, in order to get anywhere and uh but he uh in the 50s he got a television show offered to him in toronto so he he moved the family here but um you know what uh, i always had relatives in, in america and uh you know and then uh i just was incredibly interested in music. I mean, my, both my parents were musical and there's, they're musicians back generations. And, uh, but, um, I'm dyslexic. So I was a lousy, it was really hard for me to, to learn like classical music, which was mm. turned out. because you had to read and all that. Right. Yeah. Because yeah, the notes kind of float around page. <laughs> but, um, you know, so I got into Bob Dylan, and I got into uh, I got into uh, 
jazz like Nina and Simone and Billie Holiday. And uh, so I'm a, a bit of a hybrid. Well, when you mentioned Bob Dylan, I immediately now understand why your lyrics take on such a, uh, a there's a very storytelling nature to so many of the songs. And um, so you come to L.A. and you start your recording career. And how, I mean, I think of Gary Katz and I think of, uh, as I said, Jay Graydon is two of the greatest producers mm-hmm. of that particular era and uh, area. How did you how did you end up with the, with those well, guys? What happened was uh, I I did de- my demos in Toronto, and my manager um, and I had a I had a little like a singles deal here, uh, and but my manager took my these demos that I made and uh, with full bands and and uh, took them to L.A. and and uh, uh, Gary was looking for a project at Warner Brothers and. Um, they signed me. Uh, I think I was actually in the studio before I was actually signed. They they moved really fast on that record. You um, this you go on, of course, to have this prolific career as a songwriter as well as an artist, but. In the first couple of albums, as I listened to them, they seem very autobiographical, as John was suggesting, about somebody who finds himself in L.A. and starts to observe this world around him, kind of in the way that we talked about, you know, Steely Dan's lyrics were a lot yes. that way. So is that, am I reading that correctly? Is that what you were just writing your experiences and capturing them in real time in song? I'm like, um, I'm, I'm also a painter, you know, and I... I'm I'm a visual person, and I I have to actually see the lyric in my head. So so it, it's not a stretch to realize why I I I um, have kind of l- l- lyrics that are that that sort of are pictorial in a way, and they're very much my, my surroundings and uh, and what's going on around me. Speaking of that, I always said if I ever had the chance to ask Mark Jordan this silly question, I would do it. So you paint a picture on the one hand of a red desert, and then you have an album that later called Blue Desert. Is there any correlation (laughs) between those two deserts in the pictures? Well, I always thought of the ocean as a desert, you know. Oh, interesting. And I, when I first, uh, Warner Brothers owned a, 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 like a, like a fourplex on, uh, uh, on the beach uh, near uh, Malibu Pier. And um, they, I, they put me in that while I, was starting the record uh, because it was r- right close to Roger Nichols and he, he and I used to go to the studio together. I, you know, every day I would look out at this ocean, you know, in Canada, we have lakes and mountains and stuff, mm-hmm. but it was just this expanse and it looked like a desert. Yeah. It went down forever. We're in um, Michigan, Detroit area. So we see the great lakes. Right. So we know what you mean. You know, we can, at least where we are, we can actually see the other yeah. side. So, yeah. um, so that's, we're talking about, um, mannequin 1970, 
eight at first, right? Um, and there were so many good songs on that. I mean, uh, Survival, uh, Only Fools, you mentioned Red Desert. But, you know, the I guess in Yacht Rock lore, the iconic one is, of course, Marina Del Rey. Yeah. Do you want the story? <laughs> well, of course. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> it's fundamental to everything we've become. Okay. Yeah. I hope it doesn't get me into trouble. Living in Marina Del Rey. Man, you better bend your job. Living in the sun and the sea. You know, they flew me in. They picked me up in a car. And, uh, it was winter in Canada and it was summer and, you know, it was like winter in LA, but like summer. And, uh, off we went to the hotel in this, uh, limo. And on the way to the hotel, I saw a sign that said next exit on, on, on the freeway, next exit Marina Del Rey. So I, uh, saw it and thought beautiful name. Off we go to the hotel and it was the universal Sheridan hotel where, uh, you know, if you ever remember the Carson show, that's where he used to keep his guests. So I'd, I'd seen it on TV, but, and I knew it had a beautiful swimming pool. So I got to the hotel, went up and looked out my window and there was the swimming pool. And uh, I thought, I got to go swimming. So I went swimming and I, or I went down to the pool. And the first person I saw coming out of the pool was uh, Telly Savalas. Oh, <laughs> who, lo- who loves you, babe? Who did? Okay. In a canary yellow speedo. <laughs> and uh, I'll never forget it. It was a Ouch. daunting image. <laughs> yeah. Talk for somebody who's visual. That's rough. Yeah. It was, uh, it was a rough day. So I thought, maybe yeah. I won't swim. And then- <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, so anyway, I went back up to my room and I just first, I had my guitar, I pulled my guitar and bingo, I remembered that, that sign, Marina Del Rey. Mm. And it just wrote itself that song. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Thank you, Kelly. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I was getting, well, as they say, that's a good way to erase that image and yeah. write a song. <laughs> so, oh my gosh. So, um, you know, since we're talking about songs that, that seem to have stories to them, I want to move quickly to, to Blue Desert. Blue Desert, Tom, you know, I already said in the intro, but how many times have I referred to this album sonically as being the Bible of Yacht Rock? And you've you know? never wavered. I've never wavered for that. That's Jay Green. It, it is. And I, and, I, and I have given him, you know, the credit. We talk about the E-Roads that he used and the specific drum production and things like that. But one of the songs that caught my attention, actually the first one that really stuck with me, and I wondered, going back to the autobiographical thing, was uh, Lost in the Hurrah. That just sounded like the story of somebody coming from a different world and dropping themselves into LA and thinking that they're maybe they're going to be a big shot and then getting an, an awakening or whatever. Could you, uh, what would you have to say about that song? Well, it is about somebody, but I won't tell you who. <laughs> so it's not you. Or you're not going to say that no, either. It's not, no, it isn't. A, it isn't about me. It's about a friend of mine. Okay. A, and uh, interesting. Great, okay. A great solo in that too. That song. Yeah. What's so in Twilight is the solo that gets oh. me where it comes out in the where Jay plays over the drum hits. <laughs> 
entrance to the solo is just amazing to me. I don't think it can actually be played that solo, yeah, really, because, you know, Jay, Jay had sort of retired from sessions, like about six months before he did that record. Mm-hmm. And he didn't play guitar. And he was really on fire when he picked up that guitar. And uh, that's why the solos are so good. They're, oh, yeah. Well, he, a lot of joy. And he used to get me. He, 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 Jay's a genius, you know. He used yes. to get me to go behind him and put my fingers on the fretboard. He would place my fingers on the fretboard sometimes. And then he'd play around it. Wow. So it's really, I think. So we're not talking like just putting a capo oh, across. No, we're no, talking no. he put you into a shape, a chord a shape, shape or something. Okay. And oh then he, he would, I don't know how he could do that, but he would play around it. And uh, I've, I've, I've watched uh, uh, guitar players tear their hair out trying to duplicate it. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, but it's, uh, he, he, he Jay is something else, that guy. Did you know at the time, Mark, you know, as as going back maybe even to Mannequin, as you get discovered, you get signed, and they put you in a room with literal royalty from producer down to session guys. It, it, could you describe what that must – what it did feel like for somebody who's just breaking into the career to say, I'm being surrounded by geniuses, and they're working on my project? Well, it was uh, – I mean – what. How can I explain it? it? I was actually very intimidated first couple of days, but the guys were so nice. They were so, um, you know, not about, look how great I am. It was always about the project. Mm. And they were, you know, these guys played together. They they were in rooms together for 12 hours a day doing sessions. Yes. And they were like brothers. So th- there was a lot of laughter and a lot of joking around. Yeah. And, and they were, you know, especially Picaro, he was so nice, so lovely to me. Yeah. And, and so he, he just made me feel at home. And Lukather as well. And uh, it, they were all great, you know. And, and, and uh, so pretty quick, I, I, uh, I felt comfortable, you know, and... Uh, well, good session players know that the job is to service the song, service the artist. Exactly. I mean, I don't know how many times Bill Schnee talked about that in his book, but that's that's the the job. Exactly. Right? It's not about them. Mm-hmm. It's about the music. And, and that's what they were all about. And uh, it, it was really... You know, after a little bit of nervousness on my part, it was a, it was it was a joy. Yeah. What instruments would you say you would normally have played? Now you said you mentioned your guitar that you would write on. Do you also write on keys and things like that too? You multiple instruments. I do now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I co-write mostly now. I wrote those records by myself, but nowadays I co-write a lot because it, I, I, to tell you the truth, I got lonely. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. I was in LA and I remember. I was writing and, man, I haven't seen anybody in like two weeks. I'm out of my house. <laughs> and I, I got yeah. a bit of a workaholic. And uh, and I would just be hammering it, you know. And uh, and so I started writing with, uh, you know, I, I asked my publisher to find me some guys. And, and also my, my buddy, uh, John Kapek, who I wrote a 
lot of stuff with. Well, that's a perfect transition because um, that that was the next note that I had written down um, that I wanted to ask you about that, how you ended up with him as a writer. But so after, uh, well, I guess we can go back real quick to Hole in the Wall before we move forward into yeah. the songwriting thing. Hole in the Wall um, was you produced with somebody, so you took on much more of a production role, still using a lot of those L.A. cats and all that stuff. And there's... Uh, you know, yet another iconic yacht rock tune on that one that uh, people play all the time, and that's Margarita. Well, yeah, I. I, I st- I, I, that's when I was transitioning into co-writing. Um, I wrote Margarita myself, I remember, but, um, Foster, I wrote a couple with David Foster. I was actually out uh, walking today and I listened to that one top to bottom and in headphones, it's always a much more immersive experience, you know, and dance with me. I mean, almost at the end of the record, all of a sudden dance with me just blew my mind that was a wonderful song has anybody uh covered that besides your recording no. of that uh not no Ooh. no hmm. and sonically hole in the wall is maybe it's a little bigger yeah. it's a little bigger right? it's just but as very pristine i think is yes. right it, yes. we, we talk we use the word pristine a lot mark to talk about the sort of recording sensibility of the era yeah. jake Graydon and david foster both yeah. obviously which kind of leads me to my question so you start with gary katz Mm-hmm. Can you talk through the transition of how it was to maybe work on a project with him first Jay Graydon first now co-producing with a third producer for the third album? Was there a significant shift in approach as you went along? Well, Jay was much more hands-on than Gary. Gary, uh, you know, used to, he sort of knew when he, he was happy. He wasn't always sure how to get there. Hmm. And hence he would hire the best players in the world. Uh, Jay um, always always knew what he was going for. He always knew where things where where he wanted things to end up. So he would produce with that in mind, you know. Okay, listen to mm-hmm. him. you know. Uh, Jay has ears like uh, nobody in the Jay. You know, Lynn 9000 drum machines? I, yes, very well. Well, Jay used to audition them like they were people. <laughs> <laughs> that explains why he had the affinity for one specific Rhodes that he tracked down. And- one Rhodes. He would only use that one. Yep. And and he, and he uh, I'm trying to think who owned the Lynn 9000 he used. Oh, my gosh, that is funny. But Jay could hear the difference in the microprocessing. That, that's where that guy's at. <laughs> oh, my. Can you imagine? I, I, no, I can't. Well, John, no, not- here's what I'm still learning. I always thought when we talked about the E-Roads, we were talking about a line of specific roads. There was one no. E-Roads. Well, one. Because I learned that eventually Jay Graydon like, couldn't track it down, and he had to go into a session. He's like, I lent it yeah. out to this guy and that guy, and I, I, I got to get it back. Well, there was a company called Leeds Rentals that rented them, and somebody did modifications on them. There were like five or six of these made with this modification. But, of course, each modification netted something slightly different, like Mark's talking about. And so one of those specific ones was the the one that he loved. Foster used it, too. 
a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And then what about when you went on to co-produce the third record? Were there elements of both of those styles you wanted to capture and borrow from, or was it a whole new approach? Because to me, it sounds somewhat linear, but I'm not the producer mm-hmm. that John is, but it feels like it's an evolution that makes sense to me. Well, it it was a quicker record and, and we sort of, we rehearsed it. We, before we went into the studio, the other records sort of happened in the studio. This one we rehearsed, um, and I, you know, bless his heart. Uh, I wrote a couple of the songs with David as uh, Foster, as I, I said, and and David would just come in and take over the session because he he wanted to play on them. Mm-hmm. And you know, he's such a credible producer that he would just take over and produce the damn thing, you know. And it and it turned out. You know, like like a David Foster production, unbelievable. He'd leave his imprint regardless. Yeah, it is a nice sounding record. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So as I alluded before, we had to get into the songwriting thing because really, in a lot of ways, the the success that you had as a um, as a recording artist was only bigger by the time you started writing for people. So I had like a, I, I know I'm missing some, but a, a, a short list of songs that caught my attention because I've seen your name so many times as a writer for Manhattan Transfer. So I, I know this uh, Independence, American Pop, Soldier of Fortune, um, and then On the Boulevard yeah. was one as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, your biggest big one was that uh, I guess Rod Stewart took to number one, right? Rhythm of, uh, Rhythm of My Heart. And Rod's doing a, uh, I've, I've got a couple, I think three more on his new record, which is coming out this this uh, year. I kind of discovered that one backwards. I remember it from back in the day, but when I was going through your catalog a few years ago, I played, uh, I went through Reckless Valentine right. and like, oh, wow, this is a nice song, but I feel like I kind of know <laughs> it. <laughs> and then it finally dawned on me that it was the, yeah. you know, you doing the, the Rod Stewart tune or vice versa. Yeah. Um, how did those connections happen? How, how is it you ended up writing so many, like for Manhattan Transfer, for example? Well, because Jay was, Jay produced Manhattan Transfer after me. So we'd all hang out. I, you know, Jay's nocturnal. He has breakfast at six in the evening. (laughs) He's a character. And, (laughs) and so he works all night. So I got into working all night with him. And when he started doing Manhattan Transfer, uh, you know, two in the morning, three in the morning, it's not a lot to do, even in Hollywood. <laughs> so I'd out, a, end up over there. I'd end up at his place, and he'd be working with uh, Manhattan Transfer, and we're all friends. And and uh, 
then uh, they were looking for a song and Rich Page was there that n- night. I, and and uh, uh, how did it go down? I, I can't remember whether Richard or, or, or Graydon came up with the, the little music hook there. But anyway, they gave it, they, 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 they put the music together and, uh, and I, um, I wrote the melody and lyrics. I also know, just from watching documentaries about Jay, that inspiration would hit him in strange places at times. <laughs> We're not going back in to turn your love around, well, are we? I was going to, but I guess... <laughs> no, 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 no. No, all right, we'll stay out of that one. Let's talk about... Um, so, music artist, writer, producer, is, are there any elements of that that you look back that you have a preference for, or you look back and say, that's Mark Jordan? Or is it is it really the amalgamation of all of it that makes Mark Jordan who he is. Well, I guess it's a, it's the sum of the parts, but I, you know what? I, 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 I prefer singing. I love to sing. And I, you know, uh, I have, uh, I think one thing that lent itself maybe to, to the Yacht Rock thing was that my, I, I go sort of to a jazz place when I, when I improvise and you know, my dad said an amazing thing to he, my dad kept stayed out of my way. You know, he was a classical guy, but, but he loved all kinds of music. And, and he said one thing to me when I was young, like when I was about 18, 17, maybe and he said, if you want to sing, you got to sing the lyric. And <laughs> if you want to sing a lyric, listen to women. Don't listen to the men. Listen to women, how women relate to the words. And I think he was right. I think women have a mm. different uh, relationship with the, with, the, with the words of a song than a lot of men do. Men will sing it. They're more into the structure of it. So I'm a girly man. And I'm <laughs> good. I... I love the lyric, and I and so I listen to Billie Holiday, and I listen to Ella Fitzgerald, and I listen to Nina Simone, and uh, I, I and I I do sing a bit like that, I think, which was not good for my pop career, I'll tell you that. I have a father who uh, told me if you want to learn how to swing a golf club watch the women because the men do everything wrong and they hit it a mile. You'll never be able to figure that out, but watch the women. So there's something about our dads, Mark, that they're checking out the women all the time when they should be (laughs) paying closer attention. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, I got to go way off the map for a second time because there was one question we, we sort of skipped over. I don't, I don't mean uh, that we did it intentionally, but I, I wouldn't even know how to include this song in a Yacht Rock podcast, so i got to ask the question right now. How did you end up writing Stand Beside Me for Kansas? Now, I remember it from the uh, 1988 In the Spirit of Things album Bob Ezrin produced, yep. but when I was uh, going through your kind of career highlight, highlights and it said Kansas, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, i got to look this up. Well, we didn't wow. write it for Kansas. We wrote it. We wrote the song, and Kansas heard it. Like I it. see. You know, okay. in those days, everything went into the big 
publisher's pile. The big bin, yep. And, you know, there were two kinds of writers. There were, there were writers that, you know, the publishers would go, oh, Madonna's looking for a song. And they go, bah, 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 Madonna song. But I, I did not have that skill. And my publishers always knew it. And they, all they said to me was just write songs. And they took them and, and, and uh, sort of would connect the song with an, with an artist, you know. Well, that song could work for Diana Ross, but they didn't ask me to write for Diana. They just went through my, you know, that's how, how it was with uh, Rhythm of My Heart. You know, uh, um, that song was written at, in Hollywood and then it, the, the cassette went over to uh, Rob Dickens, who was the head of Warner Publishing in London. And he, he told me later, he said, I knew this was a perfect song for Rod Stewart, but not then. Mm, okay. Rod was still doing his dance stuff. So he kept that cassette on a shelf, I think for like eight years. Wow. Honest to God. And then Rod made a serious record and uh, he pulled that cassette out Played it for Rod and Rod said, "Totally, I can." So let's do yeah. it. Mm-hmm. And they they actually called me that that night. It was unbelievable. We featured a song by uh, Chicago not that long ago called "Victorious." Yeah. Do you recall that one as well? was written with John, I believe, right? Yes. One of my favorites, Robert Lamb sing yeah. that one. I thought it was a Robert Lamb song at first, and then recently I discovered, hey, there's this Mark Jordan guy listed. <laughs> what a song. Thank Love you. that. So speaking of no longer feeling lonely, I'm going to um, fast forward to the present day, which we don't have to yeah. end there, but I, I'm just dying to find out. It was such serendipity. We're working with Yacht Rock Miami to book you, Mark, for this interview, and out of the blue, my release radar comes a brand new Mark Jordan song with a co- collaborator, and it's a cover of Tom Petty's Free Fall. Because I'm free, free falling. Oh, I'm free. So, it, I listen to it, and it's so beautiful. I'm telling you, John will back me up. I'm like, you got to yeah. hear the song. It is so good. Um, so you have a new project coming up. So tell us about this collaboration. I've, I've come to find out who your co-conspirator is now, but tell us about what you're working on now and how you uh, came to release this as the first single off your new project. Well, I, it started two two records ago. I, I did I did a record with a producer, a ranger called Lou Pamonti, and he uses a Prague symphony. And I, so I did a bunch of cover, cover songs and I hadn't really done a lot of cover songs uh, before. And that that CD is called uh, Both Sides. And then my wife heard that and she said, well, why don't we do a CD together? And we never really worked together, you know, all, all these years. 
How's that going? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, never mind. Strike that. No, no, no. It's, it, you know, it, it's sometimes hard to work with my wife. It's, it's probably harder for her to work with me, but it, but it sounds really great. Oh, it sounds great. And for reference, so people who don't know who you're married to, uh, Amy Skye is your wife, also a prolific songwriter and has a, a illustrious music career. I'm just going to rattle off some of the names listed here. It's Diana Ross, she's written songs for, Anne Murray, Olivia Newton-John, Reba McIntyre, Belinda Carlisle, Aaron Neville, Hart, Cindy Lauper, and Sheena Easton. I mean, these are just household names. So how did you guys, if you don't mind me asking, did you meet in the industry and it took you this long to collaborate? Or how did you guys end up crossing paths? She used to sing with Ronnie Hawkins. And Ronnie, um, they were playing in Nashville. And Amy loved this. She thought, wow, so many songwriters here. I'm going to come back and move here. So she moved there. And so she was there, I think, for five years or something. And um, she thought, and she had a lot of success. And she wanted to go back. She wanted to come back to Toronto. And, And her friend said, on your way back to Toronto, go through L.A. and write with this guy, John Kapek, who was my writing partner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh so she did and and uh i met amy because she was she was uh working with john and and i was in the middle of talking through pictures i believe yeah and uh wow yeah and john you know john had a, a bunch of songs on that and uh so so uh that's where i, I met amy and and we never we, you know, we, we collaborate a little bit. Like if I'm stuck, I ask her, you know, if she's got any ideas and she'll give me an idea. And I, I usually don't use it, but it, it gives me a, it gets you going again. Right. So, uh, I, um, thought and she thought it was time that, that we, that we did a record and, and, and the label wanted a record. And, and so we, we did it and, it, you know, we did a lot of songs that we love and we did a couple of originals. And Are you working in Toronto and L.A.? Uh, where's where's it all well, being done? we would have we did some of it in Nashville. And uh, but uh, the rest of it, we finished in Toronto because of the COVID thing. It was easier. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's 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 difficult to to travel. And at the same time, I'm working on a new record with Lou, with the orchestra again. And uh, so um, we're recording. Workaholicking. Yeah. And when is that expected out, Mark? That'll come out probably in the new year, I would think. Something will come out. Out of curiosity, going back to the, um, what will the album be called with you and your wife? She Sings, He Sings. Okay. And who produced that? And I have a curious follow-up. Is is it are you self-producing the two of you? Yeah. Because I swear I hear David Foster or some ghost of David Foster in that room. So well done. <laughs> the impression that he left all those years ago is still in mark. Well, I you know, Amy has worked a lot with Foster as much or more than I have. And um some uh, one of the co-writers, Steve McKinnon, I think study. You know, he's from Vancouver. I think he studied with David's first piano teacher, and they they they're very similar. They're uh, they have a similar kind of vibe on the piano, 
And uh, so maybe, you know, I could hear it. The, the piano works beautiful. Thanks. Uh, I had, um, there was an additional list of people that you had written for, and I just want to hit a couple of these mm-hmm. names. Um, so you've got songs that were placed with David Hasselhoff, Don Johnson, Cher, Josh Groban, Joe Cocker. You mentioned Diana Ross, and there's probably others. Is there any of these, uh, any standout song that you would like to uh, mention or anything from them that really comes to mind? Well, um, I'm a huge Joe Cocker fan, and he cut a song of mine with uh, Becca Bramlett, and it was for a, for a movie, a big movie years ago. And um, it's called How Will Faith, and it's, uh, he, uh, you know, I, I just, I think it's a great song. I, Steve Kipner was a co-writer, too, who's a monster. And uh, um, I, I'm just so thrilled that I had a chance to, to, to get to know Cocker, you know, because I, the, he's like the soul man for me. You know. So you get the soul from him and then the jazz from your background. You combine it all together and you've got the sound of Mark Jordan. Yes. Maybe. And <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of uh, rock sensibilities maybe thrown in. So, does Mark, does humility prevent you from sharing with us how many gold records or platinum that you have to your illustrious career? Because it touches so many different, you know, what we said, writing and I don't know. Producing. I, it's not humility. It, it's just, I don't know. Let's call it 12. Ah. <laughs> Let's call it 12. <laughs> well, well we, we need to add, we, we need to add that uh, I had a note here also that 1994 says you won a Juno Award for Producer of the Year. Yeah. Uh, along with co-producer Steve McKinnon, yeah. as you mentioned, uh, for uh, Waiting for a Miracle from the Reckless Valentine album, which I'd mentioned yeah. before. Really wonderful record. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I love that record, too. Well, this is awesome, Mark. I'm curious, where should we send people if they want to learn more about what you're up to? Is there a markjordan.com or some such? Yeah, mark at markjordan.com. Or you can, uh, or just, you know, there's uh, lots of videos if they want to see those. It's, that's easy, just YouTube. Great. And I'll put you on the spot one last time, unless, John, you have a question. <laughs> we could edit this out if nothing comes no, to mind. I'm dying mind. to hear this. Uh, <laughs> I always no, love yeah. to know. Before you ask a question, it's huge. Okay. <laughs> All right. I have two questions then. Um, that yeah. one's been answered. The second yeah. is because um, we asked this of our guests yesterday, and the best anecdote came out of it. If you look back, it could be Yacht Rock era since then or whatever, working with all these greats, is there one story that stands out that is either – Hmm, that was funny, or that was life changing, or just something that nobody's ever known about Mark Jordan until now. Is there anything that comes to mind? Well, other than it's huge. <laughs> I guess it's not one story. I guess it's all one story, you know, that I knew I couldn't make it in Toronto. And I'll tell you that why I knew that in Canada. I couldn't I couldn't stay in Canada when I when I heard the Phoebe Snow's first record, Poetry Man. And I that that record flipped me out so much. I borrowed my friend's car and I drove to New York with a cassette of my songs. And it, you know, I, because it was an album, it had the address of where it was recorded, I went to the studio, 
I knocked on the door and I said, oh, guy opened the door and I had my little cassette there. And I said, is, is Phil Ramone here? He says, I'm Phil Ramone. I said, oh, would you listen to my cassette? I have some songs. I said, okay. He was such a beautiful guy. And he was, I came, he played my cassette. He says, yeah, I'll make a record with you if you want. And I went, wow. And I went back to Canada and I said to my label, I said, hey, Phil Ramon wants to make a record with me. And they said, who's Phil Ramon? <laughs> and so right then I knew I had to go. Yeah. Wow. Right then I knew I had to go. And, uh, and go, I did. I, uh, you know, at the first opportunity, uh, I, I was lucky. I was lucky with Warner and they were great to me. I've had nothing but good experiences. I swear to God, it's been, it's been just, uh, I, I, I've had a very blessed life, you know, I, it's been stressful, but you know, you go after Phil Ramone, you end up with Gary Katz and Jay Graydon and David Foster. I mean, man, you, you aim high. That's well, for sure. It, That's- I, I was, I, you know, there was a lot of luck involved. Always luck. That's involved. okay. That's okay. Yeah. You got to be good to be lucky, though. And uh, so there you go, Tom. You got the best story out of it by just opening the. I the told floor. you. See, it's a <laughs> fine little trick. Well, this has been great. We're all obviously better for it, John. We discovered this only within the last five years. Your entire, Maybe less, yeah, yeah, your entire catalog. It's just, it's, it's really, it's not overstating things to say it's been life changing, Mark. So, um, I'm so glad, like John said, you're yeah. never too old to discover new things, and here we are. So, we appreciate you being on the show. Okay. We wish you nothing but continued success. Can't wait to hear what's coming behind yeah. this uh, single that we heard the other day. It sounds amazing. Uh, we'll play a little bit of it with your permission, uh, and uh, we'll wish you the best, and hope you come back sometime. Okay, I'm here anytime. All right, we'll talk to you tomorrow because i'm free free falling well that was amazing john which brings me to a question they say you should never meet your heroes true or false false yeah. That is a nyat statement right there. <laughs> well, speaking of nyat, that provides okay. a good segue to, to float us into the lightning round. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Right, right. Well, permission uh, to uh, come aboard because yes, I want I want to beat you to it. Go. So, I've wondered about this song for the longest time. I'm sticking to it. All Mark Jordan lightning round, right? Uh, I am as well. Okay, so that's why I wanted to beat you to it, just in case. Well, he's a songwriter too, so that's true. That yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. yeah, and you do have permission to go off the mat. But real quick, our first part of our lightning round is: Does it float your boat? Right. This is not a question. Do you like or love the song? I know the answer to that. Okay. But technically speaking, is Marina Del Rey yacht rock or Marina rock in your view? Living off the side of the sea, Marina Del Rey. Yeah. 
Mark's going to listen to this and hear me say it. <laughs> I, well, that's I, not a judgment on whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. It's I just, know that. Like, how do you categorize it? People misinterpret it that way all the time. To me, it is not. It sounds like a combination of marina rock and proto-yacht. It's, it's, it's a door into yacht rock. But I don't yeah. quite hear it, and maybe because I'm so colored by the sound of Blue Desert that that you know people say that it's okay to have steel drums in it because it's Mark Jordan or it's because it's that song. But to me, the steel drums is a takeaway. Yeah, to my ear. I mean, it puts it more in the Marina Rock category than say true yacht rock if you're being hardcore. But I mean, yes. I'm sh- I don't even know if it's certified. I'm sure it is. It doesn't matter to me. It probably I, is. I love the song, whatever boat it happens to be on. Um, I would probably say Marina Rock as well, but. It's certainly in my Yacht Rock playlist. Yeah, it is in mine too, of course. What have you? I have. I'm going to go back to one of the songs we talked about earlier, and I wanted to play and get your opinion on the song that uh, Mark talked about that he wrote with uh, Graydon and Richard Page, and this is the Manhattan Transfer tune called On the Boulevard. The opening groove, when you hear that song, it's like so yachty. Mm-hmm. There's something always about Manhattan Transfer, though. The vocal style does not feel like it fits in this particular genre. Not to say I don't like it. It's just yeah. like, hmm, does that feel like it belongs with the other stuff? But the songwriting puts it back in. So, yeah, probably. I mean, just the opening groove alone, if you could play a little of that. That sounds yachty. I don't know. What should I think? Yeah. You tell me what to think. Uh, I think I agree with that. I, um, you know how much I like Manhattan Transfer, and you know how much I associate them with Yacht Rock, but I will agree that the phrasing and the, the, the hyper-jazz relationship of the voices and all that stuff, even though jazz is important in Yacht Rock, their delivery does. It sounds like it almost doesn't fit. And I get Sometimes I get a little bit of that out of going way off the map of uh, the Duke from Quincy Jones. Like Everything about this is Yacht Rock, but something takes it away sometimes, so... I don't know what it is. Well, I'll tell you because I think it's because the Manhattan Transfer song, Birdland, is so like iconic that every time I hear other stuff by Manhattan Transfer, I relate it to Birdland. So anyways. I get that. uh, All right. So what do you have for a buried treasure? Buried treasure. Well, he he could not stop raving about uh, Jay Graydon. I know. Um, And rightfully so. And I had picked for my buried treasure from – uh, Jay Graydon actually put out a uh, – in 2006, he put out a kind of a collection of all the demos and stuff that he went through his archives and sort of resurrected. Some he was able to remix. Some he didn't have the original tracks and just mastered whatever he had. Mm-hmm. And that's the case with this one. But this was a song that he did. And uh, Mark Jordan is the lead vocalist on it. So it's written by um, Mark Jordan with uh, Jay Graydon and David Foster. Maybe this was done then around uh, the Hole in the Wall album time. I don't know. But you can go to Jay's website and find more details than you ever want to know on these songs. What tape format he used, what speed it was done at. Did he you know, use DBX or did he use Dolby? I mean, all the minutiae. But I got to play this song, and it is sung by Mark Jordan, and it's called Secret Love. <laughs>
sounds amazing. I mean, it sounds amazing that A, it's a demo, but the song sounds really, really good. Jo- I mean, Jeff Percaro on drums, David Foster, David Hungate on bass. So, um, But as I said, the J has all this information about all these uh, demos on his website. He has a little anecdote that he recalls about each of them. And he wrote on this one that Mark is a great singer and has great pitch. The vocal does have a few pitch problems, and his voice was a bit tired, slightly cracking once or twice. I would not have let that slide if it was a master tape, but keep in mind these were just recording demos. But one thing that is priceless is Mark hiccuped during the interlude. So why did I not mute that when I mixed the rough mix many years ago? That and so many other issues lead to the fact that I guess I was just too busy working on master projects. The good news is that you get to hear non-polished stuff in Popland for a change. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Can you hear the hiccup? You didn't play that part. Can I you couldn't hear the find it. I could okay. not find it. But he's also said, as usual, David, as in Foster, nailed a great arrangement. David is so very creative. I humbly state that my little guitar part in the verses is fairly good. When I listened back, I first thought it was Larry Carlton. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, nice, nice, nice. Do you remember when we had, um, we talked about City Pop and there was that Maria Takuchi, I don't yeah. know how to pronounce it. She did a cover of that, soon, that song. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, it did sound sort of familiar. And you know, I went down that uh, City Pop rabbit hole. Right. I do remember Secret Love. Okay. Very good. Well, I might have two to add if the uh, captain will allow it because I was all set to resubmit Exile, the last song. It's kind of buried oh. at the last album of the uh, second album. Featuring Ben Benny, right? Yes, exactly. On, on Blues Harp. It's just yeah. killer. Yeah. Um, and I had that one all locked and loaded, but of course I've been listening to nothing but Mark Jordan the last couple of days. And a song just f- popped off the catalog. So put Exile by Mark Jordan in the playlist, if you don't mind. But I my will. true buried treasure is It's Only Love. It's Only Love. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that song just really grows on me. You, you go through that stage where that you, you'll declare that's the best song on the album, and then two weeks from now you'll have another one. So, exactly. Yep. For all of his albums, so amazing. Do you have an off-the-map uh, selection as well? I do, I do, I do, I do. And Will I you share? Just, yes. Uh, well, we've already shared, but let's share it again because it's so good. It's twice as nice. Let's play it, play it twice. From the brand new forthcoming album, here's Mark Jordan and Amy Skye with their cover of Free Fallen. All the vampires are walking through the valley. They move on west down Boulevard. All the bad boys are standing in the shadows. And the good girls are the home with broken hearts. Wow. You know, we, we've kind of talked aside snidely sometimes that sometimes when artists do these cover albums, they just kind of mail in the arrangements. That is not the case in this. This no. is so well, so wonderfully done. It's so well performed. I mean, his voice sounds great. Her voice sounds great. It's just, it's, it gives me chills. Yeah, I agree. Well, um, we spent enough time earlier on uh, what was going to be my off the map, which was going to be Rod Stewart's Rhythm of, uh, uh, Rhythm of My Heart. 
So I want to go back to one of the songs that uh, I told him really struck me when I was out doing my walk today. And we're going to go to the Hole in the Wall album. This is 1983, and i got to play a little bit of Dance With Me. Dance with me, I will be your man. Dance with me, I will be your man. You know, we've kind of mentioned this technique in the past as sort of a variation on a theme. We've talked about how sometimes when the, I think it was the Doobie Brothers and um, Kenny Loggins, where they change keys in the middle of the chorus. Well, he does verse one, chorus one, and verse two all in the same key. And then when he goes to the second chorus, that's when he does the key change. No. It's like, wow, you do not expect that. So here, yeah. let, me, let me play a little bit of that. I guess this dog has had his day go by. Dance with me. I will be your man. All right, so that is, that, that just blows me away. I mean, just the... The creative idea of doing something that, you know, us mere mortals would never think of. That's another one of those songs that kind of jumped out of the catalog at me in the last couple of... It was actually on my list. Was it going to be that one or It's Only Love? So cool. we covered them both. Good. Nice. Well, man, what a thrill. That was awesome. I would do that again. He said to call him tomorrow, so he, we didn't figure out a time, but yeah, he said any time. I think I got to go take a nap now. All right. Well, we started this uh, whole thing backwards because you let us off today. So right. let's see if we could pull it off. We're going to do the closeout backwards. I'm going to say, Iolop. And what, that's mine, Yoha. Ah! 